All right, well, as you take a seat, take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 12. We are going to close out Mark 12 this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a, at a passage that perhaps you're familiar with, um, one that's known as the, the widow's might or the, the widow's gifts, uh, the widow's gift. And, and we're going to see um, what, what God calls us to do with what we have, with what we have been given. Um, now, this, as I said, this is our last, uh, our last passage that we're going to cover in Mark, and then uh, next week I'm going to wrap up uh, our time together, um, and just with a reminder that, that the mission moves forward. So that's where we'll be next Sunday. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the primary commands, right? To, to love God completely and to love others compassionately. And, and I don't know about you, but as over the past couple of months or so, especially as we've looked at chapters 11 and 12 and, and really begin focusing in on this last week of Jesus' life, uh, I, I was struck by, by how much of the stories that we know about Jesus happened in this last week of his life. How, how many of the teachings, right? The, the teaching about the greatest command, um, teaching about, uh, obviously, the, the resurrection, um, and, and teaching about his own authority. I've just, it's to, to see those passages in context, and, and now we're down really to the last 48 hours or so of Jesus' earthly life before he's arrested and, and, uh, and crucified. And, and, and here he is teaching the disciples something about, about stewardship, about what it looks like to live your life surrendered, as we just sang, surrendered completely to Almighty God. And really that affects every area of our life. Now, what we're going to see specifically this morning is... Uh, in the way a widow gave her offering, but also we're going to see in, in some of the ways that the, the scribes, the religious leaders, were entrusted with something as well. They were entrusted with authority. They were entrusted with uh, the responsibility to teach the Word of God, and, and we'll see how they squandered that opportunity, what, what they had been given, while this poor widow seized that opportunity, while she lived her life in surrender to Almighty God, trusting Him completely. Well, that's the question before us this morning. What will you do with what you have? Let's stand as we read the Word of the Lord this morning. We're going to start in, uh, chap in chapter 12, verse 38, and we'll read on down through the end of the chapter. The Word of the Lord says this, he also said in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this passage. 
And, and I pray in these two contrasting examples that we see this morning that you would uh, turn our attention to the things that you've given to us and the way that you've called us to live and surrender to you in, in trusting you. I pray for each and every one of us this morning, you would show us ways that we have the opportunity to live by faith. Speak to us through your word this morning. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, now really here in our, in our passage this morning, we have, we have kind of two main sections, right? We have the section that focuses on the, the scribes and Jesus warning us uh, to, be, to, to watch out for them. And then we have the example or the witness of the, uh, of the, the woman. We're going to start by, by looking at this warning. The warning that Jesus gives. And this is what he says, verses 38 through 40. Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These, he says, will receive harsher judgment. Now, now we've talked about this before, but the religious leaders in the first century often get a bad rap, and, and for good reason. Many of them wanted to trap Jesus in his word so that they could arrest him or even ultimately have him killed. And, and we know that uh, at this point in the story, we're just a couple of days away from that happening, from them being able to arrest him and accuse him of blasphemy and then have him crucified. Now, I do think it's important we note not all scribes, right? Not all the religious leaders were like this. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we see that in, um, in the example of Nicodemus who went and sought Jesus out and asked him some questions. And then we actually see him uh, with Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus' body off the cross and placing him in the tomb. So, so it's not that all the religious leaders were anti-Jesus, but many of them were. They wanted Jesus out of the picture. And so Jesus actually warns his disciples, he warns his listeners against listening to the scribes whose lifestyle didn't match their teaching. Now, you can imagine their frustration and their anger when they're the religious teachers and you have this, this one who's recognized as a rabbi and whom some think may even be the son of God saying, don't, don't listen to these guys, right? You can understand why that might be why that might get their, get their ire up a little bit. But really quickly, let's just, let's, I want to break down how he describes them and what we see in his, in his description of these scribes. Um, because he, he warns the disciples right off the bat, right? Beware of the scribes. Who? Now, now keep in mind, he's describing a particular set, a particular group, a particular type of religious leader here. Beware those teachers who, and this is what he goes on to describe, who want to go around in long robes. Now, a long flowing robe in the first century in the Jewish community would have indicated that the wearer was an important scholar, okay? Maybe think of it in some way as, as like maybe the academic regalia, but they wore it all the time, all right? Um, and so you can imagine that perhaps religious leaders tried to outdo one another in their robes, right? Whether it was in the length or 
uh, and maybe how ornate their robes were so that they looked more important than the next guy, right? They wanted people to know they had authority. They wanted people to know they were a big deal. And, and Jesus says, uh, be, beware those who want to go off and show. But he doesn't stop there, right? So he said they, they walk around in long robes. And then he says that, that they want greetings in the marketplace. And, and quite frankly, all I could think of when I read this, um, let me just tell you the way mine, mine works. If you've ever seen uh, Mel Brooks' film, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Hey, I bet, right, as, as the, the guy, not, not very reverential, I know, but, but, but just imagine that, right, that, that's, that's kind of what these guys wanted, right, as they walked through the marketplace, they wanted people to recognize them and greet them. They, they, in fact, it's not out of the question that they maybe even expected special treatment or special discounts in the marketplace, Right, wearing their big fancy robes into the marketplace and expecting a discount. And if they didn't get it, don't you know who I am? Now, I would like to think that this ended in the first century. Uh, if, if I can be honest with you, I know some pastors who still walk into places like this. They walk into the country club and, and expect a free round of golf. If they don't get it, well, don't you know who I am? Um, Never, never understood that, really. I, I'm just happy to play golf, and I'll pay whatever i got to pay to do it. But um, uh, the, uh, my, my game's not good enough to be able to play for free. I, I think I'd... <laughs> but right? but, but they, they wanted this special treatment. They wanted this special recognition. And then he goes on and he says that they want the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Again, they wanted people to know they were the most important. So they wanted the best seats in the synagogue. Now, now think about that. In, in, in the church, they wanted the best seats, right? So in a Baptist church, that would mean you'd have the religious leaders fighting for the back row, right? <laughs> they, they, wanted, they wanted the best seats. At banquets, they always wanted seats at the head table. They wanted this it's almost a separation between the people. I'm a religious leader. I'm a scribe. And you're just people. Don't, you need to recognize who I am. And then Jesus puts this really interesting statement in, in verse 40. He says, they devour widows' houses. Now, you may know this, that, that widows were among the most vulnerable members of society in the first century. Um, oftentimes, in fact, being widowed was, was almost seen as, as a spiritual curse upon you, that you, you had done something, and that's why perhaps your, your husband had died. And so uh, they, they were not highly esteemed, and, and there were not governmental programs to assist. And so oftentimes for, for widows, sometimes the only way they could make money was to sell themselves as prostitutes or depend on the care of a loved one who could take care of them. They, they were completely, they couldn't work. They were completely dependent on others. And so what you would have are, are scribes and religious leaders who would, um, in some cases, serve as estate planners for widows to help them get their houses in order. 
And apparently what uh, some of them, some of the scribes would do is maybe convince the widows to donate their houses to the synagogue or even to the scribes personally. Maybe using some sort of manipulation technique like, well, you know, if, if you donate your house to me, really you're donating it to God and, and he'll be pleased by your, by your donation. Um, and oh, by the way, I get a free house, right? So, so they were swindling these women who were already vulnerable. Um, and, and greed is bad, but greed couched as religious devotion is especially awful. And again, this is not something that, that is confined to the first century. We see shades of this all over our own world today as well. And then he says in the last, in, in verse 40, he says, and say long prayers just for show. Jesus actually addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, 5. Just listen to his words here. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. At one point, Jesus even says they, they thought that their prayers would be answered because of their many words. Maybe they thought the longer and longer and longer they prayed, the more likely it was God would hear them. Perhaps you've known someone like that. Um, I think back to a, a camp that I was at when I was a youth pastor, and a gentleman who was asked, very specifically, mind you, to pray for the food, okay, to ask the blessing. And the way they did that, um, there were, there were uh, about 300 people at this camp, and the dining hall only sat about 200, so they would let like half the crowd come in, half the crowd get their food and sit down and start eating, and then they would pause and, and pray over the food so that everyone was kind of in the, in, in the dining hall for, bre- for, for dinner uh, when, when the food was blessed. I happened to be among that chosen few that already had my food when this gentleman started praying. Remember, what was he asked to do? Bless the meal. Ten minutes later, my mashed potatoes are getting cold, and, and, and he had prayed for everything under the sun. Do you know what he never prayed for the Lord to do? There was no, never the request to bless the food. I didn't do this because I'm holier than, than but one, one of the other leaders actually just started eating. He's like, I'm done. I think God stopped listening at this point. I'm like, I'm, I, was, I was holier than that, all right? So I, I didn't do that. Crossed my mind, but that set a good example for the students, right? You know, no, like God, God doesn't hear us because of our many words. God hears us because of the heart behind our prayers, right? Maybe you've experienced this as well. Um, I can think of some experiences in my home church where someone is asked to get up and pray, and, and, and I grew up in Tohoka, Texas. Tohoka, Texas is a farming community, okay? Uh, folks talked a lot like Gomer Pyle until they prayed. And suddenly this, I mean, this guy would get up there, thank you for being here this morning, will y'all pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank thee for the blessings Amen. Y'all have a nice day. Right? And it's like, what just happened? No. We don't have to put on an air for God. He doesn't hear us because of our, because of our many words. He doesn't hear us because of the, the showiness. He hears us 
because of the hearts behind our prayers, because of prayer, prayers that are prayed in faith. And then finally, Jesus closes out this section with a stern warning, and it's simply this, right? These, these religious leaders will, be, will receive harsher judgment. Why? Well, there, there's, the, the Bible will tell us in, in James that, that those who've been given a great deal of authority and responsibility are he, held to a higher standard. This is what James says, James 3.1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. See, those who have been given the responsibility of leading others in godliness are held to a higher standard standard. I think that's one of the reasons it's so devastating when spiritual leaders fall. Not, not, that, not that religious leaders, pastors, um, professors, th- those that are Sunday school teachers, not, not that we're perfect, far from it. Not that we should place pastors and other religious leaders on a, on a pedestal. We shouldn't. But there is something devastating when a spiritual leader falls because we expect more out of them. We expect them to lead by example. And rightly so, because James says that we'll be held to a higher standard. They'll receive a stricter judgment. Paul, in addressing the believers in in 1 Corinthians who who tended to think that they were just a little bit better maybe than some other people, and and certainly we see that in some of the religious leaders, uh, Paul just simply asks this question in in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says this, For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? In fact, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? This is a good question for these religious leaders that the scribes should have been asking themselves. But listen, this is a good question for all of us who would claim to be followers of Christ. Because we're not immune to arrogance, right? We're not immune to pride. We're not immune to thinking maybe we deserve something better than what we've received. And, and this question here just puts all of that into, into perspective. What makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? What a humbling question that is, right? Even down to the breath in our lungs. What, what do we have that God has not blessed us with? So when it comes to this idea of giving, of being generous, of stewardship, this is a really good question for us to ask. The religious leaders who had been given this authority and the responsibility of teaching the Word of God, we're not stewarding that well. They were not being generous with the gifts that the Lord had blessed them with. Paul would, would remind us of this. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. This will be familiar to you. He simply tells us this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. 
And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the model for us. This is the ultimate example for us. We're to reflect the attitude of Jesus, who even though he deserved all glory and honor, Paul says he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and took on the form of a servant, even humbling himself to the point of death on a cross for our sake. In contrast to the religious leaders, immediately following this, we, we have the, the, maybe the ultimate example outside of Christ himself in the New Testament of someone giving sacrificially, of someone stewarding what they have in faith. That's in the widow's offering. I just want to read this passage again and then we'll break it down just a bit. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowds dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, what we need to know is that outside of the temple were 13 trumpet-shaped chests where folks would drop in their offerings. And as they put their money in, it would rattle through this metal tube and it would make all kinds of noise. And so you can imagine as, as the rich people were putting in their large sums of money, it was making a lot of noise. You might even had uh, some folks who were exchanging their money in order so that they had more that they could put in, right? I mean, I just imagine somebody coming in with like $100 in pennies. And they're like, oh, yeah. Just listen to that, right? Again, the, the show. And, and, and now keep in mind, it's likely that if the religious leaders were doing this, it probably trickled down to the people, right? If you remember the movie, uh, remember the Titans, that movie taught us that attitude reflects leadership. So if the religious leaders acted in this way, it makes sense that these attitudes would trickle down to the people. As they saw the, the religious leaders trying to outdo one another and being recognized, maybe the people thought, you know, if I, if I can have more coins to pour into this treasury, I'll be more highly esteemed in the community. So you have rich people that are just putting in all kinds of money. And Jesus later says they gave out of their surplus. In other words, even though they were giving large amounts, for, for some of them, they may not have even felt that. Just giving money that they would never miss. And then comes the poor widow who drops in two small coins. And the coins that, that she drops in were called leptas, which were each worth one 128th of a day's wage. Okay, so together she put in one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Now, if you figure that out today off of like a like like a 
$12 an hour wage and eight hours a day, that's something like a buck fifty. Not much. But in reality, Jesus says this. He summoned his disciples. And I think that's important, right? He calls them. They'd all been watching this. He calls them and he says, I don't want you to miss what just happened. So this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, keep in mind, the disciples were not the sharpest tools in the shed all the time. And so it's likely they missed this. She has put in more than all the others. And, and the disciples may be kind of scratching their head going, I, did, was there another widow? Like, you, you saw what I saw, right? I mean, like, you had these people that are dropping all this money, making all kinds of rabbit, rat, racket, and then she comes in and just clink, clink. But then Jesus explains, for they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, what matters ultimately is not the amount. I'm grateful that, that we are a church that gives generously. The, the fact that we just we met our goal for uh, Annie Armstrong a week early is, is fantastic. I'm, I'm so proud to, to serve a church that understands what it means to give generously. But listen, the amount of zeros at the end of your check makes no difference if your heart's not in the right place. What matters is not the amount that we give. What matters is what we do with what we have. As I mentioned, most likely the rich people who poured in large sums of money wouldn't have even noticed the amount that they gave. It wouldn't have affected them at all. But in the widow, what we see is that she is trusting the Lord to provide her with all that she needs. Now, this isn't license to live foolishly, right? It's not licensed to say, well, I'm just going to dump everything that I have in the offering plate and then I, I know that God will bless me. No, because that's, again, not the same attitude, right? You can find preachers all over the, the TV or all over the internet who will say, send us $100 and the Lord will increase that a hundredfold. Doesn't, the, the, the motivation for giving to the Lord is not that he'll become some like supercharged CD. It's not how it works. We give recognizing that he owns everything, right? Remember Paul's question, what do you have that you've not received? We live in such a way, not just with money, but in every aspect of our lives that recognizes he is the owner of it all. And we steward our time well, that whatever time he's given to us, whatever talents and abilities he's given to us, and yeah, whatever treasures he's, he's given to us as well, we want to steward those in such a way that proclaims that God is the owner of it all and I trust him with what I have. This is how Paul describes stewardship and primarily money. When, when, so when we talk stewardship, the, the big, typically the biggest area that we'll address is money. This is what Paul says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
we're approaching planting time, at least in West Texas and in cotton season. Can you imagine a, a farmer saying, well, you know, seed's getting kind of exp- expensive, and, and I don't really know that I want to make all that investment, so tell you what, I'm just going to plant, I'm just going to plant a couple of bags of seed o- over this hundred acres, and, and I'm just going to trust that, it, that, that, that it'll, it'll develop a full harvest. It's not how that works. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. The question always comes down, right, when, especially when we're talking about money, well, well, pastor, how much should I give? This is Paul's answer to that. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. And I've told you before, I think we can make a pretty good biblical argument for 10%. I think that's a good, good place to begin. But here Paul says each person is, should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So in my mind, I imagine this widow dropping all she has to live on and walking away cheerful, walking away joyful, because she trusts that the Lord will provide. So what will you do with what you've been given? It doesn't matter if it's a position or possessions. How will you love God and love others through the things the Lord has entrusted to you? So here's the beauty of the gospel. Recognizing that God sent Christ Jesus to die in my place, to live the perfect sinless life that I couldn't live, to die the perfect sinless death that I could not die, to take the punishment that was rightly deserved for me. When he takes that upon himself and reconciles us to God, those who have trusted in him as Lord and Savior, The gospel frees us to live in a way that pleases God. And suddenly our identity is to be found in the fact that we are children of God, right? We don't have to keep up with the Joneses or I like the the way that Dave Ramsey puts this. We don't have to buy stuff that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We don't have to keep running some kind of rat race in order to impress other people. We're free to live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And that includes the way we use our stuff. That includes the way we use our time. That includes the way we use our talents and our abilities. All for the sake of making the Father known, proclaiming the name of Jesus, glorifying him. So, believer, here's your challenge this week. Simply this. Give generously and graciously and honor the Lord in your time, talents, and treasures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to to open up your word. Thank you for the way that that your word never ceases to challenge us. 
We know that we don't always live in, in ways that are pleasing to you. We don't always steward the resources that you've given to us well. And when we don't, I thank you that there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. So I pray in these next few moments you would reveal to us some ways that maybe we spend our, our resources unwisely and then help us to repent of that. I pray that we would rely on you to reveal to us how we can better use the resources we've been given for the sake of the kingdom of God, to bring you glory and honor, to love you and love others with what you've given us. Change our hearts and our minds and our actions and our attitudes where it needs to happen. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.